Welcome in, everybody, to Flyover Footy. My name is Matt Baker, here as always with Santiago Beltran, and we have a flyover fallout for you today. Fallout is probably the most appropriate word we could come up with, not just for our regular recap shows, but this game in particular. We're here to recap the 4-1 loss to Sporting Kansas City at City Park on Sunday, October 29th, the first ever St. Louis City SC playoff match. It was nothing as we hoped it would be, but we're here nonetheless to recap it. Santi, how are you doing? Doing great, Matt. Yeah, obviously not the, the result everybody was expecting, but we're here for the good moments, the bad moments, and uh, there is still one game to go at Kansas uh, next week. And without aggregate goals uh, being taken in consideration, the team just needs to to win to bring the series back to St. Louis. You know, that's that's the thing to remember. As we go through this, we're obviously focusing on on what happened this weekend on Sunday night because that's what we need to look back on before we can move forward. But big picture, aggregate goals don't matter. It's wins and losses. We have two more games that we could we could take this series in. We have a long week ahead of us, but we're going to get through it. We're going to look back to see Maybe what are some lessons learned that we could carry forward and look forward to the team correcting going into the next game? But aggregate goals don't matter. This minus three goal differential, put it away. Put it out of your mind after we're done with this and look forward because whether it's PKs, whether it's wins and regulation, that's all that matters. We know St. Louis is going to have a contingent going up to support the team in Kansas. So it, it can be everything that we need it to be after this. Santi, like we usually do, let's start with the starting 11, give us some thoughts on what we expected going into it, and then we're going to hear a quote from that I'm going to read from Roman Berkey that really kind of had, it sets the tone, I feel, for this entire conversation. So the starting 11 wasn't anything we were unfamiliar with. Roman Berkey, Anthony Markanik, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Jake Nerwinski, Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven, Jared Stroud, AZ Jackson, Indiana Vasilev, and Klaus. A 4-2-3-1. It was a similar lineup that we've run before. We've run a 4-2-3-1 against SKC before. When asked post-game, it was interesting. The the comment post-game was related more to the lack of a second striker mm-hmm. and and perceiving sending AZ in. Or I feel AZ's can AZ's name can be plug and play for AZ Stroud or Indy at this point, but it was specifically asked about AZ. And Carnell said, I don't think I didn't start a a striker. Might have been Joachini or Sam. You know what I mean? We chose to go with the extra 10 in the midfield. I thought we had to create a few more passing lanes between the lines, and it didn't really set up the way we wanted to. I thought we were a little bit too passive for that on the night. We'll just have to see what we decide coming over the next couple of days, but that was the decision we went with tonight. But, you know, I don't think there was any guarantees that it would have been Nico or Sam. So I was encouraged when I saw this lineup. I know Jared Stroud is a firecracker. He's a hustler. You can say whatever you want about him later in the games, but he he overall brings an intensity to the game. We talked earlier about AZ and Indy being in good form and hoping to see them in the starting 11. So what did you think about this look and the single striker approach? Well, the lineup was very similar to what we expected, except uh, for Stroud starting, being on the starting 11 and um, Sam Anirad not being there. Uh, that's what we expected. We expected to have two strikers. But yeah, I was a little bit surprised, um, especially at home, and uh, knowing that Sam Adeniran uh, match up uh, well against uh, Jake Davis in some of the previous games. So uh, I was surprised we didn't go with, with the two strikers. 
But at the same time, I was thinking, well, maybe there is a plan. Uh, having that four-two-three-one will will allow the team to uh, <clears throat> to counterattack and uh, create spaces. But it didn't it didn't materialize. Yeah, the second ten approach is really what caught my eye. That's why I say you could plug and play AZ's name for Stroud or Indy, and I felt like it was Indy and AZ doing that dual ten underneath Klaus with Stroud more or less roaming. And I think that may have played into some of the issues that we'll talk about related to our passing and our ability to move the ball up. But personnel-wise aside, Roman Berkey had a very interesting post-game comment when asked about the preparation for the game. Uh, Roman kind of laughed a little bit to himself when asked how the team prepared and what went into this game. And this is a direct quote, as best I can type from transcribing it, saying, I'm not always with the team, Roman Berkey said. I do some goalkeep stuff first with Alex Langer, and the intensity is always good. Just what I can tell you when they use us in the training and stuff is a little bit like, you know, I was young too. And sometimes you think, today, I don't feel really good, but it doesn't matter because the game's on Sunday and we still have time. Then after a game like this, you ask yourself, what's the reason? And sometimes that happens. It happened last week at the preparation for this game. But I'm sure that the guys will understand that's how you train and that's how you're going to play. The game is just the reward for the work you put in during the week to prepare yourself. It's difficult to change something on game day or during the game, how you're going to feel or how you're going to perform based on how you did in training. Santi, we don't get to see all of the training. We just get to see a snippet throughout the week. But I feel this was um, not a thinly veiled rallying the troops kind of a speech. And and we've seen this throughout the season where the captains of the team, Parker and Berkey in particular, will be very direct. Roman Berkey has very, been very outspoken throughout the season when he needs to be as the captain to hold players accountable. And it really felt like this was a moment where he was holding players accountable, knowing what they're going to have to do in the coming week. Yeah, he's, he's so honest uh, when, he, when he speaks to uh, the media. But I was still surprised when when he mentioned this but uh but yeah um yesterday i felt like the team wasn't there uh, for moments and uh, this could be part of it i don't know if uh, some players are happy with just being in the playoffs and and then um if you get something else great but uh but it's just uh could could be that that some people are reaching that point where um, yeah, we're here. Um, it's better than what a lot of people expected, but ho hopefully um, that will be corrected this week in training. I'm sure there will be some conversations and uh, the intensity will pick up, pick back up and um, the team will be ready to uh, face Kansas City. The intensity is the thing to keep in mind because when you see how some of the stats played out, how the eye test was passing, <clears throat> you, you could see a St. Louis City team that really didn't seem to have a lot of intensity on the press, a lot of focus in those push points. And it seemed to enable a consistent amount of SKC dictating the pace. That was one of the keys to the game that we spoke of last week is that St. Louis has to dictate because both of these teams' styles are at odds. SKC likes to possess, sport, or, uh, St. Louis likes to press the ball. And when you have teams that want to do opposite things, whichever team dictates the pace of play is the one that's going to win out. What we didn't expect to see is that SKC went back to what I would say like previous iterations of a Peter Vermees sporting Kansas City team where they did like to press and they haven't mm -hmm. been this team lately, but it worked flawlessly against St. Louis City. At the end of the day, we were looking at a 58% possession 
by St. Louis, 42 by SKC. We were looking at expected goals of 0.8 for St. Louis, 1.6 for SKC. Total passes where St. Louis usually is middling in the 300s or so. St. Louis had 458 passes to Sporting KC's 340. When you look at how this played out in the passing network, you saw exactly the opposite of what you would expect in a lot of regards. You saw Sporting KC spreading the field, able to move the ball quickly vertically and have some of their some of their forwards in very high positions. Daniel Shallowy in particular was high left in an average position for a majority of the game. He was one of the difference makers along with Gotti Kinda, their number 10, in how they were able to effectively get the ball in some of these dangerous spots consistently. They were, they were connecting the ball well between their lines, but they were doing it by creating space. And this was something that really took me by surprise. And it was, it was a factor that I don't think any of us expected in how these teams usually match up. This is one of the reasons why I didn't want to play against Sporting KC when we were when there were five options before decision day, uh, because Peter Vermees he has so much experience, and um, they had already lost to City at City Park twice, uh, with City scoring four goals in each game. I, I knew I had a feeling um, they were gonna do something different, and yeah, they chose a different approach. And uh, as you mentioned, they. They press more, and um, the the stats for possession also show that they gave the ball to City, and uh, instead of doing what they usually do, and they try to be more more belti- vertical. So, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how uh, City goes to um, Kansas on on Sunday, knowing what happened last night and uh, what Kansas City could do if they give them the ball. There were a lot of some of these advanced stats that tell the story on what we saw with our eyes. Long passes was an interesting measure of how these teams move the ball up the field. This is a stat that really shows the verticality that St. Louis usually dominates in any given game. A long pass is defined as a pass greater than 30 yards. St. Louis was 31 of 65, so we had 65 pass attempts that were long. SKC, while they had the same number of completed at 30, they had 83 attempts almost 20 more long passes attempted and St. Louis led in both the short and the medium passes. So this really, this really shows the inability of St. Louis to stretch the field wide, like they usually do to create the volume of chances. And they were kind of stuck middling the ball in their central midfield. Edu Leuven, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Jabulu Blom, all four of them led the team in number of pass attempts. So it's not like the ball wasn't being attempted to move through the midfield. We just weren't able to spread the ball out wide. And when you look at getting the ball into the final third, into the penalty box, through the entire game, St. Louis only had two completed passes into the penalty box. Sporting KC had nine. The volume, again, wasn't there for St. Louis. And so you look at when they're trying to progress the ball through their midfield, okay, how about AZ Jackson, one of the two tens that Carnell spoke about? Was he a factor in what he usually does, which is be able to get the ball and create with his speed, his quickness, and his agility? He only had... He had a team low in carries. So his carrying the ball in any meaningful way, he only had 16 total carries, lowest of any starter on the team. So he was a non-factor in comparison to the other players in moving the ball up the field with the ball at his feet. On the flip side, because obviously it wasn't just offensively, it was a defensive uh, failure in a lot of ways for City as well. Edu Leuven is a player that I point to as not really being a factor on the defensive end. There's There's been a lot of talk about 
what's changed with Edu Leuven or why hasn't he been as effective in the past few games? And you can make every offensive argument in general. I thought he had a good moment that we're going to talk about on the set piece. And I thought that he, he, if we played him higher, maybe he could get back into form as a 10, but his role here is more of an eight as the engine that he's been successful at throughout the year. This game, he was a non-factor for me on the defensive end. He had one tackle and two clearances. Of any defensive statistic, that was it. He was bested by Jabulu Blom, Jared Stroud, Joachim Nilsson, Jake Nerwinski, Akil Watts, Tim Parker, and Klaus on multiple of these defensive categories, whether it's clearances, tackles, interceptions. I was I was disappointed, to say the least, in Leuven's ability to make meaningful impact on the ball defensively. Yeah, yeah, and I was mentioning it, mentioning it on, offline um, before we went live. That to me, it doesn't look like he has been the same like the last two, three games. And uh, in terms of statistics, um, it's hard to to see. But uh, but yeah, I think um, the fact that he now has more defensive responsibilities maybe is hindering his his game. Uh, I think he he's more valuable to the team, uh, and he can be like a box to box, but uh, when he's more focused on offense, he, he can be more dangerous. Yeah. And there's one other stat that I think bears repeating just as food for thought. Um, and it was Taylor Twelman who tweeted this out post game that Joachim Nilsson, a guy who we really don't ever have many negative things to say about individually. I think this is more of just an indication of maybe team chemistry to an extent or, how the fullbacks and the center backs are playing with him in the game. He started eight games, City's won one, and we've conceded 15 goals in those eight games. Down the stretch, we have not been a we've not been near as crisp of a defensive team as we were earlier in the season. And part of that is the concept of the best defense is a good offense. And when we can score first, when we can stretch the ball vertically, we take some pressure off of our defense. Yeah, we might concede one or two, but we're gonna score three or four. And mm-hmm. if that's not going to happen on the offensive side and you're stuck possessing the ball, you're stuck in the midfield, not able to, to move the ball into the attacking third meaningfully, then you're putting a lot of pressure on your defense. And SKC did a great job of exploiting that by creating some of the space that we were worried about. Yeah, yeah, they, they did a good job and they did things that they didn't do in, in previous games. And uh, as I said, like playing Peter Vermees, a Peter Vermees team multiple times. Um, that's the things um, you can um, face yourself uh, when you go that fourth or fifth time, uh, especially in this case that City had already won two games. So, so yeah, Sporting KC did a good job last night. But at the same time, um, we already mentioned that for portions of the game, that intensity wasn't there. Yeah, let's look at another Roman Berkey quote. Um, post-game, he said, we had problems when they had a goal kick and they played a long ball. It's usually easy for us to defend, but this time today we had a lot of problems and it was just like unusual. No pressure on the ball, you know, letting the guy shoot, no blocking the shot up front, which is not enough. I would just say, I would, I would say just not, yeah, deadly enough. The shots we had were mostly on the goalie, you know, easy saves and the sh- And so let's get into some of the game flow where you're going to see and you're going to hear some of the descriptions of some of these goals. And yes, they created these moments, but these were some pretty incredible shots that SKC had for a lot of their goals. And the defensive mistakes, all they did really was open up space for the shooter 
to make some really impressive shots overall. First half started, and I thought there were some early early chances for St. Louis. It's a it, Bradley Carnell spoke post game two about some of those moments that they missed, and I mm-hmm. think one moment or two moments early they missed uh, after the twentieth minute. The first was a twenty first minute Indiana Vasilev shot from distance where the ball kind of pinged around and came to his feet over on the left side, and he put a, a pretty hard shot on, but unfortunately it was right on as Berkey alluded to. And the second was an Edu Leuven free kick at twenty five minutes, and. If you watch the replay, listen to the announcers, um, Jake Zivin kind of, I think, says it looked like Leuven was going for goal. I, I, I don't know. I think I disagree with that notion because it was a free kick from our left side and the ball was pretty close to the ground the entire time. And you can see Joachim Nilsson break free and Leuven looked a little frustrated at something when that play finished. So to me, it was more he saw a potential for one of the players to break free and to poke the ball in. I don't know what you saw, but that definitely didn't look like a, a shot on goal to me. Yeah, no, I don't think it was a shot on goal. And right before he shot it, uh, you could also see uh, Tim Parker um, kind of breaking free. But I don't know if he tripped or what, what happened, but he went to the ground right before Leuven shot it. So I think he was basically he, he shot it to that second post uh, a little wide and hoping that somebody will get it there. And he was either... Nilsson or Parker, but Parker wasn't on the play anymore. Yep. So let's look at the goals. And like we usually do during a loss, the reason that I like to go over the goals and the build up to the goals is it's a it's a way for us as fans to understand what led to the breakdown leading to the goal. So something had to have gone wrong in, in most sequences. We don't usually get beat at our best for goals. We have a defensive breakdown. We have a transition loss. Something happens. And I feel knowing the the framing of the goals helps. So 27th minute, it was a Logan and Denbe goal from Alan Pulido and Gotti Kinda. I think this one started, there's a strong argument to say that Jared Stroud's giveaway pass in the sequence before this actually led to it. He was trying to lead Klaus or AZ upfield, one of those long pass attempts, right? In the sequence before this, and City never recovered the ball. It was a, a Berkey clearance after that sequence that really led to the throw in and the goal play. And on the throw-in, it was on SKC's right side, so City's defensive left. The ball was played in by Jake Davis, trying to reach Kyrie Shelton, but it was intercepted by Anthony Markanik. Markanik headed the ball down, not really to anyone in particular, but it was gathered by Alan Polito near midfield. Polito plays it quickly to Gadi Kinda, back to Polito, who plays the ball between all of Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven, and AZ Jackson, like that spine of the midfield, as he makes his way to the middle of the field. As Polito makes his run in, you can see every single city player in the area converge centrally. All eyes are on Alan Polito for this play. Jake Nerwinski is marking Daniel Shallowy, who's at the top of the box centrally. Again, previous matches have shown how dangerous they can be in those scenarios, so makes sense for City to cover. You see Indiana Vasilev moving in on Polito from a little outside of the box in the mid, and then Logan Ndembe, the left back, has about at least 30 yards of space wide to the left, his left. He sees it. He moves into the attacking third where he receives the pass, wide open shot at the top of the box near that left channel, and he puts it in the left corner. Casey's up one nothing, And it's also worth saying Logan and Dembe's first ever professional goal. <laughs> there were six players around Alan Pulido before he he made that pass to um, and Dembe. Yeah, he had so much space and with Shaloy taking the whiskey, um, it was like a lot of free real estate for him. And 
uh, it was a great shot. Uh, and uh, one thing um, I noticed uh, on Sporting's goals, uh, instead of trying to go uh, inside the box and uh, trying to find the next play, uh, they um, they took a bat like when they had a space they they took shots from long range um, and uh, it worked for them they were very effective with that they took a lot of shots from long range what you mentioned there uh, re- uh, the reminder about Jake Nerwinski covering Daniel Shallowy the reason I think that's important to note Shallowy was the last attacker back the furthest attacker back from the throw in and. It's not. I've I've seen comments that Jake Nerwinski had a bad defensive performance. That multiple of the goals were scored on his side of the field. And while the goals were scored on his side of the field, the fact that Daniel Shallowy, the left winger, was inverted to that point and Nerwinski was covering him, Nerwinski had to be covering him because everybody else was more towards the ball, more towards Polito or Kinda or Kyrie Shelton over towards where the throw-in was. It's not necessarily a bad choice by Nerwinski because mm-hmm. what's going to happen if Jake? is further back he, he he's probably seeing he's again the last defender in that he has eyes on the entirety of the team and he's seeing where everybody else is parker nilson Markanic, in relation to their other attackers and he sees shallowy there by himself so if he doesn't cover shallowy in connection with where everybody else is on the field it's a ready-made disaster for that part for that part right there and so Knowing that Ndembe is taking advantage of the space, I, I can't blame Nerwinski too much because the alternative is you leave Shallowy exposed and, and you need to communicate more clearly. That's probably the takeaway as I'm talking myself through it. You need to communicate more clearly that you're leaving too much space behind you, if anything. But Nerwinski's mm-hmm. job on Shallowy, that in and of itself wasn't the, the downfall of that entire play. It was pure and simple Alan Polito drawing in so much attention, leaving so much space free. Yeah, and Pulido did a good job um, doing that. He, he he didn't score last night, but uh, he was also one of the players that did a good job and uh, made a difference last night. Yeah, he didn't score, but I think he impacted in that way every single goal. And the fact that St. Louis had so, many, so much attention to him on the first goal is a theme that we saw throughout the night. After that first goal, Klaus had a pretty good attempt at 30 minutes after a Stroud interception. This is one of those plays that's going overlooked but Stroud intercepted the ball in the attacking half and created a pretty good opportunity. He got the ball up quickly. Another one of those moments that most people are going to forget unless you go back and rewatch the game could have been a good opportunity had the ball been better placed or just turned out differently in general. So another opportunity that Stroud created in the, uh, the offensive half. But, um, you know, before that happened, St. Louis was able to even the score on a on a corner kick set piece. It was it was bang bang right after that. So it was the 28th minute right after the goal. It was the sequence after the sporting goal, in fact, that saw a strong push by Anthony Marcanic wide. Maybe one of his only successful opportunities that he actually had pushing high up on the left side. He played the ball centrally to Leuven, back quickly to Marcanic, who tried to cross it in, cleared away for a corner that Indiana Vasilev took, and. Vasilev's corner was, uh, this was one of those Alex Langer set pieces that you could see had a perfect playbook to it. You knew they were calling Parker's number. Parker ran near corner, cleaned it up with his left foot. I think it might have bounced off of AZ or another player because I don't think Indy, Indy got the assist at the end of the day. Uh, Parker scored with his with his left foot to the bottom right corner. Score was even. Yeah, it bounced off uh, Alan Pulido. There you um, go. Back to, uh, back to Parker. But yeah, I think that, as you said, uh, a great uh, executed um, set piece. Uh, 
Indy went to um, to a closer post uh, looking yeah. for AC and then ended up bouncing in Pulido and Parker was there to, to put it away. And first, Parker scored the first goal in City's history and then the first goal in City's uh, playoff history. You love the poetry in those kind of moments. It was, and and it, if St. Louis was needing to get back into this game, forcing set pieces was probably one of the best ways to do it, to control what they can control. Things aren't going the way they want to in possession and their ability to stretch the field. And so you create those chances. You you take the volume chances by Marcanic sending the ball in. When we look at the number of shots here in a minute, in the, the XG, you're going to see a pretty similar story to the number of shots and shots on goal that St. Louis had in their game in Kansas a game that we lost. And when that happens, we we've talked about the themes going on. Volume is king for St. Louis and a team that clearly and consistently overperforms their expected goals. You need to have the volume that kind of compensates for that because more often than not, we've been able to find success on our individual players with the high volume amount of shots set pieces being a key part of that, where we are top of the league in set piece goals. It was great to see the team answer so quickly, just a minute later, and then things kind of just started to come off the rails here. The 38th minute, or 36th minute rather, just about nine minutes after that, it was a goal kick from Tim Melia long into SKC's attacking half. Joachim Nilsson got his head on it, played it back to Tim Parker a little bit. It was one of those 50-50 balls. Parker had a hard touch that actually fell again to Alan Polito after a layoff pass to Gadi Kinda in their left channel. Kinda played it up to just about exactly the same position where Ndembe scored from. And while being chased by Nilsson, Blom, and Nerwinski, before he attempted a shot, it was blocked, recovered by Alan Polito, who kind of made an end around all three of them towards the end line. So he goes he goes towards the wing area, circles around them, gets the ball, tries to pass it back centrally. It actually looks like it goes through Joachim Nilsson's legs. It's cleared away by Blom, but it's not cleared far enough. It only goes as far as Gadi Kinda again in the box. Kinda fires off a shot. It's saved by Berkey. And so in the scrum of this, it's tipped by Daniel Shallowy in, in the central part of the box, falls to Remy Valter at the top of the 18-yard box, who fires it past Berkey to put Casey up 2-1. It was a, just a mad play that, again, was facilitated primarily by Alan Polito. Yeah, and uh, but, um, Parker mentioned uh, in the press conference that uh, there are a lot of instances where... Uh, second balls uh, weren't recovered or weren't clear. And this was one of those. This was one of those. And before that goal, uh, City had gained some momentum and create. you mentioned that chance from, from Klaus. That was uh, after Parker's goal. And there was another one from AC where he had a lot of space uh, to shoot it, but uh, the shot went like, um, like uh, it was a really bad shot, but... Uh, City was gaining momentum, and, and then uh, that goal came, and that was kind of it. Yeah, and unfortunately, that goal was quickly followed just a few minutes later by what likely ended up being the nail in the coffin. And uh, we are going to have to spend a, a few extra minutes to talk about this goal. It was Gadi Kinda. It was another goal. Another goal kick started this from Tim Melia. This time it was to Kyrie Shelton at midfield, who played the ball off his, we have to say, shoulder to Gadi Kinda on the sporting left. Kinda won the ball. He won the ball as Edu Leuven goes to make a tackle. And whether you say he sidestepped him or he stepped over him, he kept the ball on Leuven's tackle that was missed, um, carrying the ball to just outside the 18-yard box between the mid and the left channel. He got a shot off between Blom and Nerwinski in a, a position that can only be described as 
lacking space. I don't think there was much that they were giving him. He just took the very little, the very little space that he had, and it was a pinpoint shot beating Berkey top right shelf to put SKC up three to one. But the goal itself wasn't the topic of conversation on this one. And I don't want to harp on this too long, <laughs> but we'd be remiss because in the knee-jerk reaction the night of, and it persisted a little bit afterwards. And I think the reason that there was a, a more of a conversation on the handball is because of the, the the shift it had. It was it was kind of a seismic shift because two to one is vastly different than three to one, especially going into halftime. This happened just a few minutes before half, so there was plenty of time for for people to go pause their MLS season passes and look at the screenshots and share the screenshots and and try to make the argument of where the ball hit <laughs> on the body. What I thought was interesting here is whether it was the fact that this was the only MLS game on, and so it had eyes of everybody with lots of resources at their disposal, or 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 whatever the circumstance was, Andrew Weeby, host of MLS Wrap Up Extra Time, tweeted multiple times with screenshots of the IFAB rules showing where the where a handball is typically called and what it's being taught to call and not call. And the rule is essentially the armpit and above is no handball. And so we posted this on our flyover Twitter account. Feel free to go check that. It was a, a quote tweet of Weeby's post from last night on uh, on the match. And there's a green portion. If you have your arm at your side and you start at your armpit, there's a green portion that basically goes just, I would say, above your bicep. And it, it can be argued as the sleeve. It could be argued as the bicep, whatever you want to say. But the armpit where the, where the arm connects is supposed to be the guideline. If the ball hits that part of your arm, it's not a handball. In the in the GIF replays that we posted, I have to agree that it did not appear conclusively to hit below that. And the reason that I say conclusively is because the call on the field was no handball. I can't fault the ref, as, no matter how much I want to argue Ted Uncle's motives one way or another, his numerous yellows, I can't fault them for not calling it in the moment because it wasn't clear and obvious where the ball hit on the arm. It looked bang, bang, like a shoulder. I get it. Not mad at that. On the replay, Taylor Twelman said it pretty clearly on the broadcast that in order for you to overturn what the call was on the field, it has to be clear and obvious. There is no way you can make an argument that where the ball hit on Kyrie Shelton, it was clear and obvious that it was below the armpit, below the shoulder. The biggest point that I think people had a complaint about was not necessarily the rules itself, but the notion that when Shelton went up, his arm was very outstretched and he appeared to guide the ball with whatever it hit. And so you're saying that he made himself bigger because it, it hit his bicep potentially and he guided the ball with that part of his arm. And so it gets into that, that fan area. I'm trying to be <laughs> as objective as possible here. I, yeah. I promise. It gets into the fan area of wanting of thinking the call's going the opposite way and this was clear and obvious he was directing it with his arm there's no way that it was above the armpit but those those factors the call on the field the clear and obvious and the ifab rule itself of the armpit and not i i i can't find any way you'd be able to conclusively say that it was below the armpit so the call was what it was it was a pretty quick look to me in the, in the stands they actually showed the replay it was frustrating in the the initial replay but it seemed like a pretty quick replay that they were able to either confirm or let the call on the field stand. What did you think? 
Initially, yeah, it looked like a, like a handball to me, and I was surprised he, he didn't call it right away. And I think um, some of City's players were also waiting for that call, um, yeah. and that allowed um, Gary Kinder mm-hmm. to to get the little bit of a space he had. But yeah, when looking at at the gifts and uh, some other pictures uh, people posted, yeah, I I think it's too close, and um, if there is not enough evidence you have to um, stay with the call you made on the field so that's the rule and and yeah the argument that he guided the ball um well the rule doesn't mention anything about that so nothing you can do there it's not a whole lot different than guiding it with your chest in that regard because if they're saying that where the ball hit wasn't a handball you can guide it however you want and right. that, i'm sorry but that's the that's the fact is it's no different at that point than guiding it with your chest or your head it's a it's a playable part of your body. But that went into half. We ended halftime with 62% possession. We ended halftime. We ended the first half with a 0.21 expected goals. SKC only had 0.33 expected goals. So that goes to the point of they took their opportunities and they made the most of them. Three goals off 0.33 XG. That's that's a miraculous uh, ability to finish by sporting. And, and credit to them for their individual skill in being able to take what St. Louis gave them felt the field was stretched way too thin for St. Louis to put the pressure on some of those shots that we needed to offset that low XG, no matter how low the space that they had to operate in was pretty unacceptable by St. Louis. And, uh, unfortunately, while the second half looked a little different, especially as the subs came on, eventually, I don't think markedly much ended up changing going into the second half. Yeah. And the, one thing related to the subs uh, and previous games, uh, Carnell had made some uh, substitutions at the 45th minute, 46 minute yep. to start the second half. And I was expecting to see that, that this is a game you're down 3 um, 1. It doesn't matter by how much you lose, um, but not sure why um, those substitutions weren't made to start the second half. Uh, but um, but yeah, in the end, even even when they were made, um, not much difference. But uh, I think it could have changed if um, something had changed after this at the start of the second half. Yeah, the the one that I remember wanting at halftime was Sam Adeneron, who yeah. we we had a problem clearly in the first half of being able to spread the field, and we had nothing going on the right wing, and Sam is. Um, adept at that area of the field to say the least and he's great and one of the reasons we wanted him to start is he's great in those 1v1 or 1v few situations when he gets the ball up as the holding striker or as the second striker in the ability to create himself he's scored numerous goals where you didn't think anything was possible yet he found space with the ball at his feet to be able to finish and he's a good finisher that's the thing that we didn't have last night either is good clinical finishing And by waiting until the 59th minute to bring him in, you gave Sporting a chance uh, to to set the tone going into the second half, including a 52-minute big chance by Daniel Shallowy. Berkey came up huge on that that save, but then subs at 59. The complaint also is not just the the longevity until the subs were made, but the subs themselves. The the joke that uh, Stu had to us in our group chat is you wait until you get those subs. And one of the first subs was Kyle Hebert. I think, I think that was Stu. I saw it. If it wasn't Stu, sorry, but I think it was one. Of, and I get the concept, but Anthony Marcanic was very ineffective in what he was doing on the left side. I understand it wasn't working. And so you don't necessarily change 
the obvious in the attack. You add Sam in there for AZ, which obviously goes to the concept that two tens aren't working. So conceptually, I like the change. I think it did come too late. Totally in agreement with you on that. And I didn't necessarily like that we brought in Kyle and we kept Jake out there. I thought that really, it didn't, it didn't do much to move the needle on the fullback side. There, there had to have been a thought that defensively we were suspect on probably our left side while Jake was needing to pull himself in a little tighter to compensate. And so by bringing in Kyle Hebert, you're, you're allowing the back line to spread back out a little bit to cover the right side. The complaints that I mentioned earlier about Jake Nerwinski folding in or not really having the, the impact on the right side, well, that's probably because Anthony Marcanic was so high and on when your defensive shape needs to mm-hmm. move to compensate for that, you're looking at more of a three-center-back look by Marcanic pushing high. Marcanic's ineffectiveness, bring Kyle Hebert in, everybody shifts back a little bit, and so you're able to provide some space over there. But it it didn't work well because just two minutes after the subs, Daniel Shallowy had a goal. It started with play leading leading to the corner on the goal kick, um, or on the corner kick, rather. There was, there was no crispness to the passing that I saw in getting the ball upfield by... St. Louis City. There was a, a sequence of play that happened leading up to the corner kick of SKC's final goal. And Tim Parker seemed to send the ball wide left for Sam Adeneron, trying to create that space wide left. And exactly what I just mentioned that we wanted to see. But unfortunately, it fell to Sporting's defense. And neither Sam nor Klaus was able to make it a true 50-50. The ball ends up getting back to Polito at midfield, goes on a run, playing through Gotti Kinda, back to Alan Polito, these kind of uh, tiki-taka passes that they are so good at, but just a few of them, it ends up getting wide to Jake Davis, who's pressing high on Sporting's right side. Davis sends it back into Polito, who appears to be passing to Daniel Shallowy in the box. Jared Stroud, to his credit here in the 61st minute, pressed in the mid, blocked the ball, but unfortunately, he blocked it out for a corner. That corner was played to the near post to a jumping Alan Polito, heading the ball back towards the goal, and if you remember, I don't know, it had been 30 minutes ago at this point, if you're listening to this on the pod, uh, that Edu Leuven, I had some comments about his defensive, his lack of defensive involvement. If you watch the replay of this goal, it seemed pretty clear that Leuven's responsibility was Daniel Shallowy on the far post, and Shallowy happened to find a whole lot of space in behind Leuven, well, enough space in behind Leuven to find the ball after the Alan Polito header to put it in. What do you, I mean, did you see that that when you, when you see the replay, Santi, did it seem like Leuven was marking him that, that it was Leuven or did it, did you see something else on this? No. Yeah. It looked to me like, like Leuven, Leuven was marking, um, shallowy and, and lost, um, references there. And, um, then it was just, uh, an easy shot for Daniel Shallowy to, to make the game, Four to one, and yeah, it doesn't help the right after you make the subs. Uh, the other team scores a goal, but uh, I'm still like, yeah, I get that uh, Marcanic was having a hard time, and maybe you you wanted uh, he were there so you could use uh, Nerwinski more, but uh, but yeah, when I saw Kyle here was coming in, the first thing that came to mind I was like, oh, maybe maybe the team will play with three center backs and then have. Uh, Markanik and uh, Nerwinski on the wings, but obviously that wasn't the choice. But yeah, uh, we couldn't see the 
the actual impact of the subs just because uh, another goal and at that point uh, it's just uh it's just a three goal difference uh it's not every game you're gonna ha- score four goals in 12 minutes like uh, the team did uh, back in september 30th uh when he played against uh sporting casey yeah, that's a fact that we I don't really want to bring up too much because we had the favor return to us a little bit there. Um, and it, it definitely just felt like it was being piled on. So we we understand that misery at this point now. The rest of the game was not memorable, to say the least. Uh, you had a Tim Parker miraculous save at the 66th minute, which really can't go unsaid. If you're going to look for a player of the game, Santi, it's got to be Tim Parker. I think he's one of the very few players that I haven't seen a decent amount of criticism on one way, shape or form <laughs> in the fan base. I think he yeah. did what he needed to do between the goal and that save at the 66th minute uh, with his putting his body between the ball and the back of the net where Berkey was a little to the side of him. You had Klaus with a few attempts. He had uh, probably the largest XG of any single player in city with a big shot coming from the left wing to the left channel at 72. You had Nico Joachini come in for Edu Leuven. You had Akil Watts and Salio Pompeu come in, and that actually did seem like it sparked something. I was excited to see Salio with the ball at his feet, able to make some runs down that left side, that left wing. That was exciting, and it makes me want to see more of that. Like I don't know for the full caliber if Salio or Akil are there for playoff soccer in a, a do-or-die match, but I wouldn't be upset to see both of them get a good run of form, a run of play out in Kansas. I think if you're going to put a keel in at right back, then that's going to be impactful to other parts of your lineup. Maybe you put Kyle Hebert in at left back. Maybe you go with a five back line and you have wing backs, but something else is going to have to change if you bring a keel in. Salio, I think, offers a lot of uh, versatility in where he could go left or right, playing on the wings, uh, playing in an attacking mid or even a, a potential a version of a second striker, which he's played once or twice before this year, just giving him a lot of space to work with on the wings. Those were the little inklings that I kind of tried to take away at the end of the game, gleaning from what happened because other than that, I mean, you're looking at a continued 54% possession by St. Louis, something that they're not good at. Uh, 0.55 XG to SKC's 1.24 being outshot, outshot on goals. You had two shots in the box from St. Louis in the second half. Sporting KC had all nine of their shots in the box. So you're seeing consistently SKC getting in behind our lines, able to have chances deep where St. Louis really couldn't create much. And then the amount of space that Sporting had behind our defense, their ability to stretch that field, it, it just furthered completely flipping the script from what we thought we'd see. And it harkened, it, like I said, I'm going to wrap it, put this in a bow. It, it harkened back to previous Peter Vermes versions of SKC where they did do pressing a lot better and a lot more. And now the question has to be, what version of sporting are we going to see when we go to Kansas? Because now we have that additional variable of what he can throw at us in his arsenal. Yeah, and uh, one thing that could make a difference uh, next game is uh, Johnny Russell, he didn't play last night. Mm-hmm. Um, he may be available for Sunday. And, and when uh, when <clears throat> when we play against um, KC at Kansas, uh, he was uh, he had a lot of success uh, on the right side against Marcani. So there is a chance um, we may see him um, back. Uh, another factor could be Eric Tommy. He he came in the second half last night. Um, he was also on the questionable list. So so 
Kansas City may have uh, some additional players available for Sunday. And, and one of the things um, I forgot to mention, uh, so Gary Kinda had a great game, but uh, City had not seen a lot of him uh, in the recent games. He, um, he wasn't on the... Um, he on the he wasn't on the game at KC, and uh, when we played them on September 30th, he came like uh, towards the end, only played 13 minutes. So um, so he 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 was a difference maker, and and now you're gonna have uh, you could have Eric Tommy and um, and uh, Johnny Russell also. So uh, so yeah, it'll be uh, it'll be a difficult game, but hopefully City can't. Um, make some adjustments and uh, as you mentioned uh, maybe see more of Akil, maybe see more of Celio. I, I like what I saw from him yesterday and maybe he's not a starter but it could be he could be one of those early substitutions if you if you need to get a spark on offense. There, there's a lot to consider there and and I know that they have their depth with Johnny Russell and Eric Tommy that we didn't see. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how we utilize Sam. I thought he was very effective when he played uh, in Kansas. I thought he had a lot of quality runs, and it, it, there was an offside call, there was a goal called back, those kinds of things. That he he's an impact player that I want to see more in the first half, and and I think there's a lot of fans that feel that same way. Whether you want to leverage Klaus and Sam or Nico and Sam, I mean, there's there's lots of different options, but um, I think Carnell. I just want to see more of that verticality, the the staying within what St. Louis's style is and how our offense used to be successful. There's a there's a comment in the chat from Kevin Hall talking offense. If you take out the September sporting game since Labor Day, we haven't scored more than two in any game, seven total goals in eight games. Even if that's marginally close, it's worrisome. The fact that we haven't been able to uh, consistently dump goals on opponents when that's how we've won a lot of our games earlier in the season. Uh, everybody talks about how playoff soccer is different and how these games, they, there's, a, there's a, now a narrative that's starting about how St. Louis might not be built for the playoffs. The mm. playoffs, Carnell said the other day, playoffs, this is just match day 35, right? And so if you think about it as an extension of the season, staying within yourself, not trying to do too much and letting the moment escape you or preparing appropriately to go back to what Berkey was saying. And we quoted him at the beginning, those things shouldn't be outside of your control and being a young team, being this, this year, first playoffs for not just your new guys or your young guys, but your internationals who aren't used to this environment. Maybe also there's a lot of variables at play, but this team has shown that they don't go on losing streaks very often and they can overcome them. We just need to see, if they're able to overcome them this time, because unfortunately this was the first time we've lost three straight games. Yeah. Yeah. First time, first time in, in 35 games. Um, the other previous losing streaks uh, were max two games and the team was able to bounce back. So hopefully we'll see a bounce back game on, on Sunday and bring it back to city park for the third game. That's right. I had a, a, a trip planned to Mizzou for November 11th to watch the Tennessee game. And I am Uh-oh. hoping beyond hope to be able to cancel that. I would love nothing more than to be staying in St. Louis for November 11th. Now, Basanti, we're going to be looking ahead to SKC a whole lot on our next pod. What we do have is a little bit of uh, housekeeping before we go. 
we do have a giveaway. We didn't touch on it earlier. Trying to build the hype a little bit, get turn the page, get the excitement going for next week in Kansas. Know that St. Louis has a ton of fans going to Kansas and will show up just like they did on the September 2nd game, I believe it was. And so we, in partnership with STL Soccer News, STL underscore soccer underscore news and Chris Gebhardt, are offering two free tickets to anybody who followed our pages, they subscribed to our pod, they liked to post, they told us who they wanted to see as player of the round for City. And most of the most of the names I saw were some of the bigger names. Berkey, Klaus, Leuven. I saw a lot of Bloms in there. Tim Parker had some love. Um, based on this first game, I think Tim Parker is probably in the lead. You know, Roman Berkey has a, has a good shout because he was standing on his head a lot during that game, and you can't fault him for some of those goals allowed. But let's get to it, Santi. We had over 100... Uh, entries into this. There was another, I would call it a successful giveaway for what we had. This is our second ticket giveaway. And I absolutely adore doing this because it sees a fervor, fervor in the fan base to get these going. And I love the engagement. So if you're ready, I'm going to do a random number generator. I'm going to do three names just in case maybe somebody's already bought a ticket or some can't get a hold of somebody by uh, today or tomorrow. And we make sure we get these two city fans going to Kansas. You ready? All right. Ready. All right. No drum roll, but the click. All right. Number 96 on my spreadsheet. And Santi, you have access to the spreadsheet, so you can see me to make sure that I'm calling out the number 96 field. And it is R.A. Sanders 11 on X. So let me find my X real quick. R.A. Sanders 11 is Rich Sanders. So congrats, Rich. If you're listening to this or uh, if, if you answer your DM when I do that later, then the two free tickets to Kansas are yours for next weekend. If you don't, though, I'm going to draw two more just to make sure we get these two St. Louis fans. Next number is 102 on my list. And that's our good friend, Daniel G. 42 Daniel Guevara on X. Like Dan, Dan's a great city fan, always passionate, always supporting. So we've got Dan as our second, our first alternate, we'll call him right now. And now the next one, 39. Go up to 39 on the list. And we have Alex Boer, B-O-O-H-E-R. I believe that's on X as well. We did do these on X and Instagram. So Alex, you are our second alternate for the two tickets, I will I will post on the Flyover account to let everybody know who they end up going to. And thank you, everybody, for your your participation. It's obviously one of those easy things. All you got to do is see the post, like it, like it, con- comment, and uh, hopefully you're listening to us on the pod or on YouTube, which we really appreciate. But that's more city fans going to Kansas. So who doesn't love that, Santi? Right? Yeah, yeah, lots of support needed uh, for that game on Sunday, and and thanks to uh, to Chris for donating these tickets and for always uh, commenting. Uh, yeah, I just saw some of his comments. He he mentioned that uh, he thinks uh, Lewin's role has changed a little bit after AC Jackson got more time. Um, yeah. Also commented on on the Heaver substitution on. Johnny Russell impact next week. Uh, so thanks, Chris, for all the, the comments and for the donation. 
and for what you do. If anybody hasn't checked out his website, the STL Soccer News, again, the account at STL under soccer under news. It's a source for St. Louis fans, kind of collates all of the podcasts, the blogs, the sites, um, Instagrams, anything that St. Louis has going on. Uh, also international, national stuff. It, it's a good resource. And yeah, hopefully we see a, a better result next weekend. And now as we look forward to next weekend, though, the next match is an elimination match in Kansas. Elimination for St. Louis, unfortunately. Sunday, November 5th. We don't have as long of a wait as some other teams. I believe it is uh, the Philadelphia game, I want to say, that has a 10-day layoff. There's some of these MLS matches that just have a long layoff, and I don't know yeah. why or how or what the reasoning is. But ours is next Sunday, November 5th at 4 p.m. It's an away game. It'll be on MLS Season Pass. And we'll have the full preview discussion on next week's flyover. But this is going to be Carnell's biggest test, Santi. Sporting proved a ton on how they learn from and how they can handle St. Louis. The question is going to be, can we do the same? Yeah, yeah. I think he he will learn from from last night's game and have something ready for for next week. Uh, Chris just asked if we have any comments on the Blom uh, yellow yellow card. Um. Yeah, I had that in my notes, and I, I, my only comment is I don't see how a player can get a yellow card when they retain possession of the ball. Yeah, I didn't understand. Simple as that. He, he. The, I don't care how, where, how his body is moving. He never lost possession. His his foot remained on the ball, possessing the ball the entire time. And whether the opponent decided that they wanted to stand there while he was still retaining possession, it's not on him. And it was uh, not not a deserved yellow card. I was not happy about that at all. Yeah, and good thing uh, he didn't get another one and uh, that you need to get three um, to get a suspension. So, But hopefully it won't make a, a difference down the road, uh, assuming um, City has success on Sunday and then brings the series back to City Park. All right, that's it for us. Santi, thanks for recapping this match. We're going to have a look ahead, like I said, on our next show. One reminder as we go out that a few people have brought up, and I really like this because it's good to keep perspective on. Everybody remember June 1st, 2019, Game 3 of the Stanley Cup Final. The Blues lost to the Bruins 7-2. Hope that this, this should tell us that hope is never lost. Every match is a new chance, and we're still not done yet. We always end flyover on a positive note, and I'm making sure that no matter what happened this past weekend, we're sticking to that mantra. Santi, we'll see you again later this week. Vamos, City.